Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Dr. Victoria Seckley, a Manhattan-based physical therapist and doubly certified running coach, USATF and RRCA. And all those acronyms mean is that, well, she, she kind of knows what she's talking about when it comes to running. You probably know her from Instagram, where she is at train smart, run strong. And I've definitely shared a lot of her posts over the past year because they are both informative and knowledgeable, and they look pretty. Like she has a knack for design that I am a little bit envious of. In this episode, we're talking about coping with running injuries, and statistically, every runner will get injured at least once, from a minor injury all the way up to some major injuries that can take you out of the game for significant periods of time. And when it comes to coping with injury, it's not just about how to rehab the injury, but how to cope with the fact that you're injured. Because for a lot of us, running is a huge part of who we are, and the emotions that we feel when we can't run can sometimes be overwhelming. So we're going to talk about all of those things and more. Dr. Victoria, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. So, of course, first up, we want to hear all about you as a runner and as a physical therapist. Tell us how you became a runner and how you ended up doing what you do today. So, I really started running um, probably right before high school. I was pretty young and it wasn't, I just, I didn't just start running. It was actually my mom who got me into it. She was training for her second half marathon. And at the time, I, my main sport was tennis. Um, that's pretty much where my whole life was. I, uh, you know, got home from school, played tennis for hours and hours on end. I ended up playing competitively in college. Um, and running was just kind of something that came along with tennis, like doing sprints and, and all the training that was required for that. So I never really got to enjoy it until my mom started to ask me if I wanted to come on runs with her. And that's when I started to really enjoy what a run was, mainly because I was spending time with my mom and it was something completely different than what I was used to in my tennis training, which I really, really loved. Um, So running started with my mom. I ended up running the half marathon with her. I was 12, so I was pretty young. Um, in that, and I'm not sure I would recommend it to everyone, but it truly was one of those life-changing experiences, you know, finishing that half. Um, I loved every second of it. I would go back and do it again um, at that age even, and it just kind of changed my whole outlook on competition because what I had with tennis was really, really not healthy, I want to say. You know, I was nervous all the time because I grew up playing tennis, I was playing against my friends all the time. It seems like one of those things that just really isn't a healthy relationship with competition, but running opened up a whole new aspect to that, that I could enter a race and have a lot of fun and it could be something that I did for myself. So um, that's really how I fell in love with running. Um, And in terms of how I became a physical therapist, kind of along the same lines, again, my tennis training led to some injuries. Um, I found myself in the the physical therapist's office quite frequently throughout my college career, um, and my whole family is in medicine, so it just kind of seems like a really nice um, transition and like kind of um, collaboration between sports and medicine, which is really all I knew <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so it all just kind of seemed natural. It kind of just naturally happened, and and I haven't looked back. It's, it's kind of been a nice path, I, I think. And obviously your specialty is kind of in, in treating runners, um, but I assume you see other athletes as well and, and probably just regular people? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, in my first four or five years out of um, school, out of physical therapy school, I worked at a, a regular clinic, you know, where you'd see all different types of people, people coming in for neck pain, back pain, um, weekend warriors, any types of sports. Um, so, yeah, treat pretty much everything. I mean, all physical therapists who graduate, we graduate as generalists. We can treat pretty much anything. Um, I decided to go down the the more specialized running road. And it's not even really, you can't even really call it a specialty because 
anyone, any physical therapist can do it. It's just, I like to say it's more of a passion. Um, and now I mainly treat runners, but of course, you know, some of my old clients and patients, I still see for, you know, neck pain, shoulder pain, um, all of that type of stuff. So yeah, everything, but my true passion lies in running. <laughs> Before we move on to talking about injuries, I, I want to talk about what you just mentioned about your history as a tennis player, because I was reading recently about Naomi Osaka stepping back from professional tennis and basically saying, you know, in tennis, there's only one winner. And if you don't win, you lose. And how draining that is emotionally to be the kind of competitor who like, there is no second place or third place in running, you know, not only are there first place top, your top 10 finish or age group finish or PRs or like you finish. And that's awesome. You know, tennis is a sport where like, if you, if you don't win, you lose and how different a mentality that must be. And to, I, I understand why you <laughs> really enjoyed running a bit more. Yeah, I have to say um, there's a pretty big comparison between tennis and running, and I truly think that my tennis training has made me love and, and appreciate running even more. Tennis and running are both very mental, and they're also like singular sports. Like, there's just you. I mean, other than doubles in tennis, which still is kind of it's – not, it's not a team sport. Um, but it really – you really learn – the mental side of the sport in tennis specifically, because if you look at professional tennis players, the amount that they're actually hitting the ball in a match, let's say it's like a two or three hour match is something like five minutes. That's the amount that they're actually playing. The rest of it is mental. So the amount of um, like really how taxing it is to have to go through every single point in your mind and decide how you're going to react to each point um, whether you lost the point and, you know, points can take different values based on what it is in the game and it can completely change the outcome of the match just based on how one point goes. And I feel like that really prepares you for so many different life skills. I just remember being like nine years old playing matches and like losing a point and just completely flipping out and like throwing my racket on the ground and jumping on my racket and learning through that process how to actually like make those emotions um benefit me it's like really hard to do that it's extremely hard and it's very taxing and I think Naomi Osaka is one of the most amazing tennis players that I've watched and also just for her to step step out and be like this is takes a lot on my mental health is something that I really want to see a lot more athletes do because I mean, I was nowhere near that level, and I still, I swear, have, like, PTSD just from some of the matches that I played in juniors. Like, that really, really takes a toll on you. <laughs> and running is similar in the sense that you're in your brain the whole time <laughs> on that whole run by yourself unless you're running, unless you have, you know, you can run with friends, which a lot of runners do, but the majority of runners, I'd say, do the majority of their runs on their own and that takes a lot out of you um, and it's a huge mental aspect of the sport that you also have to improve on um, and I think that's there's something to be said about that and I'm so happy that there's this whole movement towards mental health and awareness with that because I think that's only going to improve not just the professional athletes but also the recreational runners and tennis players I hope that you know we really start to see some benefit um, in that regard. But yeah, I like that you brought that up. Because I think there's this perception that, and this is so, we're so totally off topic already. We yeah. haven't even started. <laughs> I know. Um, but I think that there's this perception, especially like you're right with runners. And we look at, especially for runners who we know are like pushing the limits of what they're capable of at the end of really long races. And for most of them, you don't really see it unless you know what to look for in their body language. I mean, Elliot Kipchoge finishes races with a smile on his face, even when right. he's running a sub two hour marathon. <laughs> yeah. And you think, oh, they just must not, they must not feel it. Like there must be something yeah. wrong with me because I feel it. I don't see them feeling the strain, the pressure, the whatever it is, but they do. Like everybody faces all of the same challenges in their athletic career, whether we're 100%. professionals or amateurs, like we all face the same challenges there. That's just a fact. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And that's also a big reason why Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, them coming out and saying, look, I am not mentally prepared to face this 
makes us feel way more normal and make it feel like, okay, I don't have to push through this if that's going to hurt my mental health because guess what? That comes first. And it should always come first. And this mentality that we should be pushing through that type of pressure just isn't realistic, you know? And yeah, the professionals really, they're on a other level, like I said, but they deal with it too. And it's really nice to see that we're not alone in that aspect. Well, actually, I think this does relate to our topic. We're talking about coping with injury. Yeah. How dealing with injury, basically. We're going to talk a little bit about injury prevention, but basically talking most about like, hey, you're injured, now what? And statistically, like every runner is going to experience at least one running-related injury during their running career. Most runners experience more than one, anything from really mild, like uh, patellofemoral syndrome or IT band syndrome that goes away after a couple clamshells up to really serious injuries like stress fractures, recurring issues that are chronic, um, issues that might require surgery. So like just from a very basic prevention standpoint, what are some things we can do to help prevent some of these injuries from happening? Well, there's a couple things. The, the main one that I'm probably going to touch up on a lot um, in this episode, and also you'll see it on my Instagram page a lot, is strength training. And people think, you know, why is that helpful? Strength training isn't running. How is that going to correlate? And it just comes down to running is, no matter how we put it, quite taxing on our bodies. Um, it is definitely something that we learn as children to do, you know, but that's a completely different um, way to look at it than what recreational runners do, which is going out for 20, 30 minutes pretty much every single day. Um, it's a lot on our bodies. And in order to help reduce the risk of any kind of injury, we want our body to be prepared to handle that excessive amount of load that is being placed on the body when we run. If you think about what running is, generally one foot to the other, jumping from one foot to the other, our entire body weight is on one side of our body. I mean, when else do we do that? We don't do that when we're walking. So we need to strength train and do specific strength training um, in order for our bodies to be really ready to handle that. And um, I, I, I think that more recreational runners are starting to see that. Professional runners have been doing it forever. Um, and I think that I'm hoping we start to see a movement towards runners in the gym, um, no matter how much we don't want to be there. <laughs> um, the other aspect, too, in terms of um, helping to prevent or reduce the risk of injuries, um, we're looking at proper nutrition, um, which is really important, hydration, you know, how we're going to recover, and mainly just like recognizing when to seek help. And I think that's a huge, um, something that runners don't really talk about. It's like they have little issues here and there that never got brought, get brought up and it just kind of snowballs into one major injury. And at that point, it's a little too late. So knowing when to seek help would be a huge one. And it's usually way earlier than people think. Um, and sleep is huge. That's going to help I mean, there's all of these studies coming out now. I feel like you may have had a post about this, but like the amount that you, I don't know if I saw it on your, I'm, I'm sure it's been out there. There's all these studies that are um, coming out saying the amount that you sleep actually correlates to your performance and um, your risk of injuries, um, your training plan. So most runners get injured because their training is just either all over the place or there's literally no rhyme or rhythm. They just go out for however long as they feel. One day it's too much and it's over. So being really mindful and having at least some sort of a plan can really help reduce your risk as well. Those are huge. And so it's interesting. I feel like everybody, when you tell a runner, like you need to strength train, they kind of like nod their head at you and they're like, yeah, you're right. I do. And then like, that's it. It's like, they agree with you and then don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I think for a lot of people, it's like hard to get started because it's something that's either completely new or it's just like, why and how? Those are the big questions that I get in terms of strength training. I get questions about like, how do I learn to love strength training? 
as much as I love running, right? Runners love to run. We don't necessarily love to do other stuff. And yes, there are runners who love to spend time in the gym. That's awesome. Mm. Harness that power. But if you don't love strength training, I don't care. You still have to do it. You still have to make your bed and like pay your taxes, right? You don't love to do it. (laughs) Exactly. I don't ask you to love it. I ask you to respect it. Like respect that that needs to get done in order to do what you love. You know what I mean? Like it's only going to help you. And I think that if it shifts the mindset to, okay, maybe I don't love doing this right now, but I know how necessary it is. I think that really, really helps runners at least, you know, get started with it. So let's go back to something that you said about how runners typically don't seek professional help for an injury um, as soon as they should, or they don't, or they don't catch it early enough. Right. And I feel like this happens a lot because new runners typically face a, a constellation of fairly minor running injuries that tend to go away on their own, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've all experienced a little thing here and there and you're like, yeah, but then I kind of ignored it. And hey, guess what? It went away. So that when the next thing pops up, they think, oh, well, the last one went away magically, not magically. I'm sure something happened in your training to make it go away. You just weren't aware of it. But they think, well, the last one really went away. I'm sure this one will go away too. That's not really the perspective we want to take on dealing with injuries. No. So here's a secret. Your body, our bodies are really, really good at compensating, like really good, subconsciously changing small things. Your injury didn't go away. You just shifted the load to a different part of your body. And when that next injury comes up nine times out of 10, it's because of the first injury. You did something that changed your form. You changed your form a little bit. You did something in that run that you switched gears a little bit. Maybe it felt good for the next, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 runs, but then it's going to come back with a vengeance usually too. You just shifted that load to a different part of your body. So, yes, some runners do get really lucky, um, but that's what it is. It's luck. And do you really want to play that game? You know, I think, I think that's, that's where runners don't recognize. It's like, oh, yeah, the last one went away, but not realizing that there's actually connection between those two. I mean, I, I don't want to go down that road of, like, everything is connected. But, yeah, a lot of it is. You're guess what? Your ankle is connected to your knee. <laughs> like you can see it. You can see how they play, play together. And that's usually what we'll see is like, Oh, well my foot started hurting or, and I'll hear this a lot. It's like, I had a t- big toe injury two years ago, but it went away. And now my knee's hurting. And it's like, and then, you know, a couple sessions with me and it's like later, wait, do you think they were connected? Like, yeah, I do. And I think a lot of the times that's how it is for most injuries, especially overuse injuries like with runners. And the tricky thing about running injuries is that like the repetition factor just magnifies any yeah. pre pre-existing condition, right? So like right. we're not perfectly symmetrical. Nobody is, but I call it the the like creating the worst pearl in the world, right? Like it starts with the grain of sand and just by sheer repetition, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of footsteps over the course of like a week magnified right. by months or years. Yeah. Whatever tiny quarter of a millimeter imbalance there already was between this and that, like, boom, all of a sudden it's a serious injury. Yeah. And, and it's not even like, and I love the way you explained it, but it's not even meant to be. I mean, I guess maybe there is a little bit of fear tactic when I'm talking about like, okay, get that first one looked at, but we also have to recognize that our bodies are amazing too. So they can be strong. They can, they, they are ready and willing to take you through those thousands and thousands of steps. You just have to, again, it comes back to almost like respecting your body and allowing it to perform at its best because something's got to give, whether that's performance, injury, you know, mental health, everything is involved in that. So you just want to do the best that you can. And usually that's talking to a professional, you know, look, the worst that happens is they say, Hey, it's nothing to worry about. Go along with your day, which can happen too. (laughs) So You might as well ask the question. So 
I know a lot of runners are going to listen to this and say, well, if I went to see a physical therapist every single time something felt wrong, I would live in the physical therapist's office. Like it's not, it's just not feasible. You run enough, you are going to feel a little beat up, right? That's kind of normal, especially you get up to higher mileage, you get in the middle of a really intense training cycle. Like you're not always going to feel hundred percent. Stuff is just going to feel a little off sometimes, but there are some situations where you describe some symptoms you as a professional would say, you need to come see me. What would those things look like? Well, I want to address, before I go into that, I want to address what you said before. And I think this is a huge problem in the healthcare system is people think that like with every little thing that's going to go on, they can't afford to go to a physical therapist or whatever healthcare professional every time. And I can't speak for other healthcare professions, but I know in the physical therapy world, at least with the colleagues and the people that I've worked with in my profession, is our whole end game is education, is to help teach you so that next time if something comes up, you have so many more tools in your toolbox to try and mitigate this. And that's my whole story is like, I actually hate insurance companies because they're kind of tailored into this. Yeah. You're going to go two to three times a week for three to four months. And then, you know, guess what? That's the only time you can go into physical therapy. I say go in once every four weeks. If that, some people don't even need that many. Some people actually get better from one session and they, they now have the education and the knowledge to mitigate that or to help decrease that risk next time. And there are so many of my clients when I'm discharging them, like one of their last sessions, where we go over a plan. If this starts to hurt again, what am I going to do? How am I going to stop this from happening? If this starts to hurt again, what plan am I going to go through? So it's not a vicious cycle. It's not like you're constantly coming back. Something comes up and then you have to go back into the physical therapy. We're all trying to move away from that. And look at it more as like, okay, if you see someone, A, that you vibe well with, because that matters, I'm not going to vibe well with every single person, and kind of knows your struggle. So for me, I wouldn't know what to do with like a football player per se, (laughs) but I know runners and like, I know what their goals are and how to get back to it. And, and I will do whatever I can to help you not need me anymore. And I know that's like a, probably a terrible business model, but like, I didn't go into physical therapy to make money. I must have done something else. <laughs> so, so that, I mean, like putting trust in a provider that they're literally trying to help solve what is going on so that next time you come back, it doesn't have to happen again. Anyway, sorry, this was a huge rant. That's, yeah, that's, I'm going to put some trust in my colleagues and say that a lot of them are really striving for the same thing. So don't be scared because it's not a cycle. Go in for that one session and tell your provider exactly what you want to get out of it. And I think that's going to be better for everyone. Well, I'll also say, yeah. you don't even have to wait till something's wrong. Like if right. you're a runner and you have not yet gotten injured, keyword right. there is yet, like go see a PT for preventativeness, you know, right. um, assessment. But insurance doesn't cover that. So I'm just going to put that out there. You have to be willing to pay out of pocket because insurance hates the word prevention. Again, this is what's wrong with our healthcare system. But I'm nodding right now. I'm just so <laughs> a lot of I know a lot of providers are like pretty affordable and like willing to work with you. I know I am, especially virtually. So, you know, it's worth the question. Um, anyways, what was your second question? Something about sim- the symptoms that you're looking for. So when does somebody need to actually be like, all right, uh, I think I should probably go see somebody. I'm actually going to post something about this today. And I know you're not posting this podcast today, but it's on my page. So red flags on like, okay, I need to stop this run and, and go talk to someone. Number one, which we've talked about already, if you feel like you're changing your form, if you feel like you have to step a different way, some like, oh, if I roll on the outside of my foot, the pain goes away, you know, something like that. No, 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 stop. Go talk to someone. If the pain is getting worse throughout the run, because there are some, you know, little pains that come up here and there that kind of go away after your first five, 10 minutes for that. I'd usually say, make sure you get a better warm up in and hopefully you won't even feel that first five or 10 minutes. Um, but if the pain is getting worse, stop, go see someone. If you feel the pain in the middle of the night, wake you up a hundred percent, 
go see, go see someone. And that's not like, oh, I was rolling over and like the rolling action caused my back to, no, it's literally pain that wakes you up out of your sleep. That, go see someone. Those are the main ones. And if, and if, honestly, I get so many people DMing me, hey, this is, oh, if something has been bothering you chronically for like two or three or four different runs, if something makes you limp during or after the run, these are all things that it's just a warning sign, especially the limping. Um, that's definitely a warning sign. So listen to it. And the quicker you get yourself help, the quicker it can get resolved. So that's also incentive. Why do you feel that so many runners wait too long to get treatment? Well, I think it is, I think it is a lot of like, I can't afford it. I, I, you know, I don't know what my insurance plan is. Insurance is really confusing. I still don't understand my insurance plan. I like went to the dermatologist this week, got a $200 bill. I was like, oh, I thought I had a copay. They're like, you didn't pay your deductible. I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and I work as a healthcare provider. Like, I just don't know. It's confusing and it's scary. It really is scary. And also, I think the main reason is admitting to themselves that something's actually wrong. And I struggle with that myself like I'll come home oh well it doesn't hurt anymore so I'm just gonna push it out of out of my mind we're good not a problem um, it's really easy to deny it but I think that really listening to your body and honing in on that is something that not only benefits you as a person but it benefits your running it can help your performance um, and again just respecting your body and and recognizing when when it's time. Don't deny it. <laughs> One of the most inopportune times that injury can pop up is when you're in the middle or at the end of a training cycle for a race that you've been planning for months or years. In some cases, people who have had, you know, finally gotten into Boston or London and their race is coming up and they're experiencing symptoms of an injury. Now, Obviously, continuing to run on the injury and not seeking help kind of only makes it worse. Are there situations where you would look at a runner and say, no, you can't run this race? Yes. If they, and, and here's a huge part. If they have signs of a stress fracture, they're, they're done. You know, the, I mean, and I don't mean that. I mean, I kind of mean it fearfully too. Stress fracture is serious. That's probably the only, I don't want to say 100%, but that's one of the main reasons that I would say a runner cannot compete in the race. The good news is that the majority of runners who are dealing with this type of pain, especially like you said, you know, the, the race is only a few short weeks away. They're about to start their taper. Most runners are going to have, especially recreational runners, especially ones who are following a very random plan that they pulled off the internet, they probably increased their mileage too quickly, um, probably didn't do every single thing they could to mitigate any kind of injury. And guess what? They're in their highest mileage weeks now, and things are going to pop up. The good thing is that for the majority of them, they've already put in the work. And I think there is a light at, at the end of the tunnel for, and I hope, you know, people who are listening to this hear me when I say this, is you can probably run the race. Chances are you will be able to run the race. And chances are even better to run the race if you seek help from a physical therapist or and especially someone who understands running because the majority of them are going to say don't run it because they just don't, they're like, why would you even run it? Like it doesn't even make any sense. But I know how much work has been put into this training plan and it also wouldn't be helpful to just pull out for no reason. So the majority of them are just experiencing a little bit of overuse from really high mileage weeks. Their training is at the peak of, um, of their plan and things are going to pop up. That's just how it is. And it feels even more daunting because the race is so close. And I think that's where the mental aspect comes in as well is like, you're going to see a lot of, you know, patellofemoral pain, IT band around this time. And the good news is you can still run through that, but it feels so scary. 
Because you're like, I can't. Because it's so painful. It really is very painful. And you can't fathom doing a full marathon or half marathon or whatever it is with that type of pain. But there are so many pain relieving techniques that you can follow. And the only way you're going to get to those is if you see someone. I was going to say, those probably depend, those pain relieving techniques sound magical, but they're probably extremely specific to the runner and their specific symptoms. 100%. 100%. I mean, you can throw some ice, slap some ice on there if you wanted to, but that's not going to do anything. You, You need to, again, have a tailored plan. And that's, that's the hardest part actually about having an Instagram account because people will reach out to me and be like, what do I do for this specific thing? And it's like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know you, you know, I don't know what's helped in the past. I don't know what's helped with what you've done already. And coming up with a tailored personalized program really takes actually speaking to someone and doing a full assessment before coming up with a random plan. (laughs) Yeah. And the random plan, not just for, PT treatment for your body, but what Victoria said about like following an actual training plan, Mm -hmm. not one you found on Pinterest that has a bunch of numbers and like no explanation, um, a plan that you like sounded really exciting, but actually is far too aggressive for your actual ability. I mean, like there's a reason that running coaches and like running professionals tell you to follow a plan. Don't make up your training. Don't pick a plan off the internet and then like cherry pick what you think sounds like the most important runs. That's how you get into trouble. And we're not even, it's not even that I'm like trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to help you prevent getting injured and landing in Victoria's office three weeks before race day saying, I think I have a problem. Trust me, this would be a great business model if we were just like, yeah, pick those plans so that you can come see me because you're going to get injured. Like, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. Everyone's running 80 miles a week and it's just a pipeline. And if it's not there, like, no. (laughs) Right, right. So, yeah, we're here to help you. And that's the whole thing with run coaching, too, is like with a personalized plan, you also usually have access to the run coach. So if something goes wrong or you're feeling something, the plan will be modified. And that's the biggest part is like these cookie cutter plans that you pull off the internet have no modifications. And that's where the runner gets in trouble because they end up doing whatever the plan says the next day. And that might not be the smart decision for them in that moment. So, uh, you know, if you're complete 100% completely healthy and you're a seasoned marathon runner and you've never really had any issues, it could work. But for the vast majority of us, you know, a personalized plan really, really goes far and above that. So let's say somebody is in this situation, kind of crisis mode heading into race day, and they're not working with a coach and they don't have a PT on, on hand, let's say on staff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, if only. Rest is not, pure rest is not the solution that we're looking for in many of these cases. Because some runners will say, well, I just won't run until race day and I'm sure it'll be fine by then. Mm-mm, highly do not recommend that. Um, but I mean, rest again, it's hard to, to answer that because maybe your body needs one day of rest. So I'm not against rest. I want to make that very clear. I think in some circumstances, especially with cookie cutter training plans, when people have done way too much, rest might be advised, but a complete week off of running I would not recommend that for someone, again, who doesn't have signs of a stress fracture. A stress fracture, we're just going to put in a completely different box over there. Usually, resting for that long is going to do more harm than good. Um, And if you're coming, let's say, you know, you don't have access to a physical therapist, you're going to want to do little, small, little changes like, you know, TLC for that needs ice, foam roll, heat, and then maybe looking at little things like increasing your cadence, things that you don't really need to have a physical therapist for. Um, And since you're hearing it now, I will give you that knowledge. But those are the little things that can be done that are more than likely going to help and also just modifying that plan. So if you got injured on Monday and that run was an eight-mile base run, and your next run is a tempo run the next day, probably don't do that tempo run. You know, like take it down a little bit. You don't have to go through the whole mileage, but just get a couple pain-free miles under your legs. 
And that's better than sitting it out. So, I mean, it's so hard to answer that, though, because it's so different for everyone. But, yes, in, in a short answer, complete rest is never going to help you unless you have a stress fracture, in which case you're not running the race anyways. <laughs> and I want to talk about stress fractures in a minute. Um, yeah. But, yeah, because that's kind of my – and I'd be very clear when people reach out to me with injury questions be like, I'm not a physical therapist and you should go see one. However, typically you rest until acute inflammation has subsided, right? So like if you have like anything obviously that's like swelling or is like actively sore, maybe that right. day or two of rest will allow that part to calm down a little bit. And then if you can then run pain free after that, maybe with some of those modifications, like taking it easy, really focusing on, you know, the recovery aspects that, that would be a really kind of, um, you know, oh, you can still run just as yep. long as you're pain-free after a little bit more rest than you may be intended. 100%. And I, I would completely agree, but I also want to be very careful how we're going to define rest in that circumstance because it, let's say, let's just use the example of like a swollen ankle for, or a swollen knee. I don't want someone, again, we know that it's not some sort of fracture. I don't want someone to just keep that still. You know, so one of my first things would be to actually mobilize it, right? Let's keep that moving, whatever way that you could do that pain-free, like small ankle circles, ankles pumping back and forth. That's not rest to me, right? That rest to me is like you prop the ankle up, you know, like classic rice, like ice compression, elevation. That's out. That's out the window. We're we're done with that. So you know it. it this is why you kind of want to talk to someone because <laughs> you also want to rule out like a serious fracture type of situation there as well. So tell us what the signs of a stress fracture are because they are very serious. And this is where something I fear monger wholeheartedly when I say that if you ignore signs of a stress fracture and can you to, to run on what could possibly be a stress fracture, you could end up breaking your bones. Well, that's what a stress fracture is. It is a fracture. And I think that's what people forget is like a stress fracture is like, oh, right. It's just like, you know, it's, uh, it's my, it's not minor. It, your bone is broken. It's not like, you know, sh shoved out of your leg or like any kind of gory, like basketball player. Uh, those are like the images that are popping up in my head, but the bone's broken. Like it's a serious, serious deal. And I feel like a lot of runners don't take it seriously because it's so common in the running world, which is really sad to say. Um, but signs of a stress fracture, you know, the number one is pain at night, like I talked about, pain that's waking you up, um, pain that's at rest, and pretty much, and basically like not really able to bear weight through that. Though I have seen some runners actually be able to put some weight through it. So, you know, everyone's different, and there are also different levels. You could have a stress reaction, which is kind of like the first signs that a stress fracture is going to occur. Um, and people can like run on it, but pain with pretty much every step that pain that doesn't warm up, it does not warm up. Um, and pain at night are the main things that I would be looking for. Oh, and the last one pinpointed pain. So if like your Achilles tendon is hurting or something or something muscular, people generally point to it like this area is bothering me or this area feels sore this area cramps up people with stress fractures will be like this spot right here on my foot hurts and that's when i'm like that's a very specific location that's not really like a tendon muscle area you got to get that checked out and the sad thing is is that like imaging isn't a hundred percent for stress fractures i can't say that it's going to show up so we have to go a lot of the time based on, you know, we're not really 100% sure, but it's better to be safe than sorry. And unfortunately, that means sometimes crutches and taking full rest. So yeah, it's pretty intense. <laughs> are there any people general, speaking of populations of people who are more susceptible to fr stress fractures? I would say young women um, it has a lot to do with also, you know, diet and, um, and I feel like women just in general have this stigma against them that they should be eating less and they should be super skinny. And 
They shouldn't be in the weight room and things like that. I think that's a societal problem. Um, and for that reason, you'll probably see more than likely um, a young woman end up with a stress fracture um, more than, but then again, you know, I, there, it can also happen to men. So it's, you know, it's, I, I even kind of don't even like to say that. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking like the connection between underfueling and yeah. stress fractures like anybody can under right. fuel um exactly and runners runners specifically um because runners have that you know under fueling it's it's hard for runners to eat sometimes too because of gi issues that might occur during the run that's why it's super important to again work with a nutritionist because there are so many ways to get around that um and there's so many options out there for you um, if you're struggling with any type of fueling um, throughout the process, but also you burn so many calories when you're running, you need to literally, I, I don't remember the exact caloric intake that it takes to actually replenish your body from running a full marathon, but it's insane. Like you would not even believe how many calories it takes to actually replenish. And the recreational runner is wildly underneath that, like the amount that they actually fuel. Um, so yeah, under fueling and also just from running the repetitive stress, both of those two things combined, um, leads you to be more likely to have a stress fracture. And I think that's why the running world sees so many of them. For so many runners, I feel like the first step of being injured is denial. Um, right. denial, 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 like I'm not injured. It's fine. And then they get to this place where they can, they can no longer deny that they are injured. They are categorically injured. They have now run through their injuries such that they actually probably do need to take time off or mm -hmm. vastly reduced training. Maybe they're mm -hmm. aqua jogging. Maybe they're on the alter G, maybe they're on the elliptical and they get really bummed out emotionally yeah. being injured is so, so hard. And I think it's okay yeah. to acknowledge that it's, it's okay to be upset. Like it is upsetting. Absolutely. It is very upsetting. And that's when you kind of, one of the first things that I ask runners is, do you do anything else for fun? What are your hobbies outside of running? Um, and if, and if you haven't really thought about that recently, now's the time because the reality is, look, I'm super passionate about running. I love running so much, but it can't just be about one thing all the time. And sometimes it's healthy to take a little bit of a step back and find something else that brings you joy. Um, and that can be really scary to hear sometimes, um, but it's necessary a lot of the time is find something that brings you joy and running will be there for you when you're ready to get back. Um, it, it's still scary to hear that, but I also think that, this is when it really is helpful to have a team of professionals who, who understand you and who have your back and who can talk you through the hard days because especially if they're runners, they've probably been through it too. So it's nice to have that kind of support system and people that you can talk through um, these issues with. And that can even just be your running friends because they've probably been through it as well. <laughs> God, runners are crazy. We're yeah. just nuts. <laughs> Having the people around you who can support you. I know that a lot of runners get upset when they can't run because they're afraid of gaining weight from being relatively right. inactive. Like that's a huge, actually a huge concern um, is weight gain because you can't run. And they're like, well, what else can I do? How can I burn calories? Like that is something that actually it's, it's a perfectly okay to want to stay in a specific body shape. However, how you achieve that body shape needs to be done in a healthy way and with with the right mentally healthy approach too. Like, yes. that's it's not okay. Like, fear of weight gain that causes you panic attacks because you can't run, that is not healthy. So that I would say, well, it's A, it's a whole other field too, is like, so then are you running strictly for the weight gain? That's an unhealthy relationship. Again, I would try and seek out other things that bring you true joy. Um, also recognizing that when your body's injured, it actually uses up way more, a lot more energy than it does when it's healthy. Um, so if you're worried about like gaining weight, that should be the least of your concerns. You should be worried about properly 
actually replenishing your body so that it can heal. Um, so that sometimes requires actually more food than what you're used to when you're rehabbing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it goes back to the point of like, I would explore that relationship that you have between running and this idea that you have to run in order to keep your weight down or to lose weight or to stay a certain body size. That, first of all, that's, I want to move away from that. I don't think that's healthy. And if we can move past that and find running the true love of running and not have it mean weight loss, I think you would, you'll A, become a better runner and B, just truly have a much more, much more appreciation for your body and much more joy that comes out of that. Um, so, you know, seeing a psychologist would probably be my first order of action, which I do a lot for people who get injured it, just to even kind of get through that injury cycle. Cause it's hard. It's like a complete identity crisis for a lot of people. So yeah, again, no stigma behind seeing psychologists. Of course it's expensive, but you're worth it. You know, m mental health, we're bringing it full circle. I knew, I knew it would come back to this. Mental health is number one. <laughs> Framing your experience with injury as a way to just come back stronger rather than something that takes you out of the game can mm -hmm. be really helpful and actually just your mindset through the injury, but also returning to running. Right. It's like injury is opportunity. That's one of my favorite sayings. Um, if you can, I mean, it's hard. It is not easy to be in pain and be frustrated and kind of, and you know, humans love routine. So be out of kind of your usual routine, but it's exactly like you said, it's, it is an opportunity to figure out what led to this and come back even stronger and as a better and have a better performance as a runner um, following rehab. But the, the hard part about that is rehab usually takes a lot longer than what you expect. Um, and I would just recommend sticking to it as, and, and usually what I'll end, re, you know, discharge protocols with is like these, these are exercises that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life and coming to terms with that as a method of prevention and a method of performance can be a really cool thing. You know what I mean? Like you can come out of this and be like, wow, I never used to do this. I never used to be able to do 30 lunges in a row before I was injured, you know? And it's like, that's so cool. Now you can think about how much of a, a better runner you're going to be because you can do that. So it's, there's really cool things that can come from rehab. Definitively. I want your professional opinion yeah. on when people are concerned that they have to take time off a day, two days, a couple weeks, months, Mm -hmm. They're so afraid of losing fitness that they don't want to stop running to rehab their injury. And I just want to put that in like bold italics that like they're afraid of losing fitness. So they don't want to stop running to rehab their injury. Do you see well, that a lot? Yeah, oh yeah. All the time. But the beauty is that there's cross training that's available. So you don't have to lose your fitness. You, I mean, almost every single injury, even stress fractures can get on a bike. Biking is totally fine. Swimming is totally fine. I know swimming is way less accessible, but um, if you're dedicated, you can do it. And it's not the end of the road. It, you, won't, you will not lose fitness if you put your mind to it and if you have those options and you're ready for those options. Um, and that's a huge conversation that I have with my runners too is like they're so scared to lose fitness. I'm like, oh, just, just hop on the bike. Just go. And, and most runners actually love that. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, I love cycling now. I love, you know, going to the pool um, because it's like another form of accomplishment and I guess cardio, really, because we're all cardio junkies at the end of the day. Um, but I know you're like, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's so many other ways to keep your fitness up. And sometimes if you can't do it and maybe it's not advised for you, maybe it's better to lose a little bit of that fitness so that you can come back stronger when your body's actually ready for it. 
So there, you know, there's a million different ways it can, it can be taken, but there have been very few instances where I've told someone they shouldn't even get on a bike. That's always an option. I think a lot of runners don't really understand how, how much inactivity it takes to actually lose yeah. significant fitness. Like all I think that they see is that like, wow, it really took me a couple of years to climb this mountain. Um, there's not a cliff on the other side. Like it's, it, it takes a long time to lose that fitness too. Like, yeah, if you did not, if you were on bed rest right. for like four months, of course you would significantly lose muscle mass and t- but you know, but if you're moderately active, if you're strength training, if you're getting your cardio in, like you are, we're talking negligible changes in your actual fitness. Right. I mean, there's two different ways to look at it. I think you're absolutely right. And that's a huge thing that people are going to be thinking now when they're tapering for their marathons. It's like, I'm going to lose my fitness. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. You trust the process. You've done the hard work. You you will. Now is just about rest and recovery so that you can start fresh on that start line. You're not going to have lost your fitness. Tapering is important. Um, on the other hand, I also see people who like haven't run for months and then will come see me because they're like, I started running again and I couldn't even get one mile and it started hurting. And it's like one mile is a lot. (laughs) Don't just out of the blue, if you haven't run for months, just like run a mile because that's a long time. So I think that there's, you know, two different ways to look at it, but for generally, if you had just been running, you've sustained an injury and you're worried about losing your fitness after a couple of days, that is nothing to worry about. And sometimes it really truly is your body asking for a little bit of time off. Um, that can be more beneficial in the end. And if you are out of the game for a couple months, hopefully it's a situation where you have been working with a practitioner who can then help you return, you know, plan your return to running um, in a way that makes sense. Usually we start exactly. with run walk. There are rest days in between each running day. Like it's a very gradual, slow buildup, but returning to a previous level of running fitness does not take nearly as much time to re to return there as it did to build it the first time. I love that you mentioned that because that is so true. It's like, if you put in the work before your body knows it, it will take way less time. Um, and, and, and it's so important to remember, because I think it can feel really daunting and people really don't want to start with run walks a lot of the time. Um, but you will get back there a lot quicker. If you just, again, trust the process and take it step by step, you'll find that that's the much better way to to do it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that a lot of runners understand that run walk is how elite runners return after injury or after having a baby, like they didn't start like just running 20 miles again, you know, in one time, like, no, they started with run walk in like 10 to 15 minute sessions. Like that's how you return from taking time off. hundred percent. I also like just a quick side note, kind of want to move away from like, Oh, well the professional runners do this. So I, you know, it's like professional runners, like that is their job. They have so many other things that they do that, that recreational runners don't have time for in their day to make them like a healthy runner. So it's like, it's so hard to compare yourself in that aspect, but you're exactly right. If the professional runners, if they're even starting with a run walk like that, you know, you gotta be okay with it. And also recognize that that's the best way to do it. It's the best way for your body. I completely agree with you. Like, I'm not saying that we should all emulate it because you're right. It's not even feasible for us. And I definitely cherry pick because but it's really important, I think, to under all we see for, for most of us is we see the glory on the finish line yeah. and we don't see that the behind the scenes of like they're literally just people who, yes. you know, who to do run walk when they come back from having a baby or from an injury. You know, I've been talking with a lot of my runners as we plan our fall races and being like, Do you understand how much those runners take in fuel during those right. races? Right. Like, those bottles are not filled with water, those bottles are filled with calories. Yep. Exactly. And I think that's a huge thing too, that to compare with professional athletes is like, they are constantly fueling. And that's a really, really big divide. And I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, like that fear of gaining weight and, and taking in calories because of 
really starts with diet culture, which is just the most flawed concept there's ever been in the history of, America, of the world, not just America, but it seems to be more in the U.S. for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, diet culture, no. Fuel, yes. I know that this is going to be like a whole bunch of, this information is for educational purposes only, but... Um, when we talk about different types of injuries, we there are different timelines. Mm-hmm. Some injuries tend to heal relatively quickly. Some injuries can take a lot longer to resolve. What are the general expected timelines for different types of injuries that a runner might receive? Yeah, I would say any kind of like tendon injury. There, uh, I hate the word. I it depends. Like it depends on so many different factors. Um, if you're looking at a stress fracture, that bone is not going to heal for eight to 12 weeks. Um, but that doesn't mean you are going to start running after 12 weeks. Sometimes it can happen a little bit sooner with imaging confirmations, things like that. Um, for tendon injuries, I'd probably say, I don't know, six to eight weeks. It's so hard to really know the guidelines because every single person is different. It's also really important to remember that six to eight weeks doesn't mean six to eight weeks of not running. So, you know, that's just like how long it might take. And for me, honestly, rehab never ends. (laughs) So I'm just going to say from now until forever, because also there's another thing that having a previous injury puts you at the most risk of getting another injury in that same spot. So you always have to be rehabbing, always rehabbing, but it might take, it might look more like strength training and, and that whole thing. Um, so yeah, quote me now until forever. <laughs> That's so true. I started seeing a physical therapist this year and it's like, again, one of those things was like, why didn't I do this sooner? You know? And, but the things that I've adding added now into the things that I do on a daily basis, like they're not complicated like technically i think they're classified as mostly just mobility exercises 100 but it's been night and day just these little yeah. tiny things where it's like you don't have to you don't have to live like this there is a better way you know like you don't have to always you know get up a certain way and have your have your left leg be a little stiff or yeah. wake up in the middle of the night and be like oh my right hip or whatever the thing is that's like been bothering you you can fix that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best part of, of the job, honestly, is <laughs> like not even solving it. Just like giving that education. Like you, you don't have to live like this. It's okay. And it, it's going to take some time, but we can do this. And just getting people to buy into that and recognize how amazing their bodies are. Like that's the best part. The best part. Yes. I mean, one of the things that bums me out the most is when I see people say things like, well, oh, I'm just built this way right. or I'll never, you know, I'll never be this way because of X, Y, Z or like, I'll never be that fast or I'll never be this. And it's like, well, can you try? Like, yeah. have you, can, do you, how do you know? How do you know what your limits are if you're putting limits on yourself? I think again, and I can going to keep bragging on the healthcare system is usually someone's been told that somewhere along the line, like the amount of times I hear oh, well, I, I'm not allowed to squat. I, I'm not allowed to lift any weight over my head. And it's like, who told you that? Like, that's insane to me. And so many of the times, it's just so ingrained in them that like people are so scared to do it that it's hard for, for them to kind of get over that. But that's not true. <laughs> for anyone, everyone should be able to squat. It just might take some time to learn how to do it. you about is people who have experienced an injury successfully rehabbed the injury and are really afraid of the injury returning and they're experiencing like psychosomatic phantom pains or legitimate anxiety that the injury is going to reoccur what advice do you have for them talk to a psychologist honestly like that that is hard to get through it is not easy and it really takes a lot of like visualization and just trust in your body again. That will take time 
and there are a lot of different methods that I am not equipped to. I mean, I can help in a certain way, but it's not my expertise. Um, and I, maybe I'm also saying this. My sister's actually a psychologist. She's also a runner. Um, but like she, she would be the first person I call because psychologists are so good at what they do. And a lot of the things that go through your head of like just fear can actually lead to another injury because your body, the way that it senses pain is it like the first thing it wants to do is protect. And by protecting, it shifts the load to other places. So if you're constantly thinking about that injury and that injury coming back, you could actually cause another injury from that. So if it's really bad and affecting your runs every single time, that is worth a discussion with someone to help you with different ways of kind of getting that out of your head. Um, PTSD and a sort, I have to say. Any injury anything. can cause anything can cause that trauma. Right. And that's really how we feel pain. Like you said, if the person is then changing the way they move and they get injured again, then it's this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Where it's like, I was afraid I was going to get re-injured and then I did. Yep. And then, and then they're even more traumatized about it. Yeah. And look, there are a lot of things that physical therapists can do for that too. Um, you know, there's like different ways that you can train it tactically, focusing on different things, form, whatever. Um, but I have to say that again, not our expertise. If it really truly is something that you can't seem to block out of your mind and it's really affecting your life, um, psychologist I think is the best best way that you can handle it and you probably will come out stronger and more mentally strong than you were before with all of this I mean runners tend to be a bit of the I can do it alone mm-hmm. uh, self-sufficient type so right? am like I they, yeah yeah I mean we all always think right. like, uh, my first reaction to anything is like I'm sure I could figure this out like it's not a big right deal. um except that's not that's not always the case. Sometimes we do actually need some outside help for whatever the issue is. And that's not, think about it as like, uh, this person is only going to help me become a better runner. Like you don't go to school to teach yourself things. Like you go to be taught by others and, you know, using those tools as runners is only going to make you a better runner and hopefully a better. I mean, which the focus of this is like probably a better person too, but it'll also make you a better runner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that you say that. Um, but I mean, that's really what it is. And I think that's why I'm such an advocate for like, go see a professional, go see a professional because the more we talk about it and the more we normalize it, especially with something like psychology, I think that the more helpful it's going to be for everyone because they're still, we are still battling that stigma of, seeking help for your mental health, Um, but it is normal. Even for something seemingly as small as I can't stop thinking about my injury when I run, that's not normal. That's something that you, and I hate the word normal. I shouldn't have even said that, but that's not something that you want to have to battle every single day. And there are so many methods that can get rid of that for you and can help you come back stronger. So one of the things I love about your Instagram account, um, aside from all of it, (laughs) <laughs> is that you actually are so you post a wide variety of content that mm. includes not only myth busting, but actual mm. examples of ways that runners can strength train, like mm. in their own homes. I feel like especially mm. even before COVID, there's a lot of resistance to strength training, like I have to join a gym and then like hang out with the bros and I don't really want to do that. But you can like pop down to TJ Maxx like I did and pick up some kettlebells and voila, you can strength mm-hmm. train in your living room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the best part that that's the best thing that COVID gave us um, is just recognizing that it doesn't have to be this whole ordeal to get your strength in. Like you can literally do it with a yoga mat. Um, And, you know, I am also an advocate for heavy lifting. I don't think that can necessarily be done from your home, but I think there's a time and a place. And I think for the, the majority of runners, especially for those of us who are new to strength training, that's enough, you know, 20, 30 minutes two or three times a week from the comfort of your own home that can do a lot that can do wonders. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like an, it shouldn't be every day because we need periods of rest to recover. (laughs) You don't have to spend an equal amount of time strength training as you do running. Like it's just like a little bit, a little bit extra. Exactly. So you're on Instagram at train smart run strong 
and you are so you're based in New York is that correct yep I'm in New York I'm only doing virtual right now though so oh I was gonna yeah. say because you, you mentioned virtual and I was like I wonder if she's taking virtual versus just in person so it's all so if anybody needs physical therapy they can reach out to you directly for virtual help exactly virtual or run coaching um I've I'm actually going to be launching different parts of my business right now. Um, I have a little bit of a wait list, but I'm hoping for my time to open up um, actually in the next couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about. And I'm going to be posting all on my page of ways that you can work with me. But yes, for now, strictly virtual. Um, I haven't figured out exactly how I'm going to return to in-person. Um, it's probably going to be some kind of shared space. Um, but yeah. It's exciting. It's fun stuff. Virtual is just as good, by the way. <laughs> I love it. If you if you are not following Victoria, you need to. She is at Train Smart Run Strong. I'm going to link her Instagram and website in the show notes. So you need to find her, follow her, check out some of her awesome strength training routines that she posts. Um, I'm really excited about your business. That's so that's such a fun next chapter. Thank you. Yes, I, I'm really excited. I'm a little little overwhelmed, but. I feel like it's more excitement than being overwhelmed. So I'm looking forward to it. It's nothing good. but good thing. Keep that ratio. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right? Mental health first. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. This was a great conversation. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.